Three Western provinces are squaring off against the Trudeau government over the enforcement of the planned firearm buyback program. Alberta, Saskatchewan and Manitoba have all raised objections to the buyback with Alberta's Justice Minister suggesting the province will ask Mounties not to enforce it. I'm Dave Breckenridge and this is 10-3. National Post reporter Ryan Tumulty joins me to discuss what the province's opposition to the buyback is, how the feds have responded and which level of government ultimately has the upper hand when it comes to the RCMP and federal gun laws. Don't forget you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Amazon Music, I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So Ryan, while the story we're about to discuss deals with provincial premiers, it also deals with federal gun policy. So just for a starter, for people not as familiar with the Trudeau government's approach to guns, what piece of the federal gun plan are we talking about here? Yeah, so there have been a couple of different uh, measures that they've taken. This in particular one, it came into force... Um, just actually a few weeks after the, the tragedy in Nova Scotia. The government did say that it had been working on it before, obviously, the shooting, but um, it came into force shortly after. What they did is they they passed an order in council, which is essentially a regulation. It's not even uh, a, a new bill that has to work its way through the House or something like that. And they took a wide number of guns, about 1,500 different types of firearms, uh, that the government has described as assault style, although they've never been really specific about what exactly an assault style firearm is. But there's a wide array of weapons, um, 1,500 weapons, and what they did is they moved them into the prohibited category of firearms, uh, which means it's no longer legal uh, in pretty much all cases for someone to own them. And what they're going to be doing with this buyback program is giving owners the opportunity to sell these weapons back to the federal government who will then destroy them or the federal government can let people keep them but they will render them inoperable okay and and you mentioned this this buyback program how is it supposed to work it's kind of it's called a quote-unquote voluntary buyback but it doesn't sound like there's anything voluntary about it how's it supposed to work and who's supposed to enforce it so we don't have a lot of details there so when the government made this announcement uh, shortly after the Nova Scotia shooting, um, they said that the details of the buyback program would come in time. And they spent since then consulting the firearm owners and businesses about what an appropriate price is for all these weapons. So they released a price list for these weapons, which ranges anywhere from you know $1,000, give or take, to $6,000, depending on the, the type of weapon. And they haven't really said exactly how this is going to work from there. Obviously, I think they are expecting, like anyone would, that some gun owners will not want to give up these weapons. You know, there's active court challenges underway. And obviously, you know, we, we've seen this before. Some firearms owners simply do not want to part with their weapons. And maybe we'll wait for a change in government, hoping that that uh, a future, say, conservative government would abandon this plan because the conservatives have been very clear that they oppose it. So we don't know all of the details exactly how this works, but there's sort of an obvious underlying that there will probably need to be some police involvement, especially when you're talking about people who don't want to give up their guns. Do we know when this is supposed to take place, or is it still kind of, you know, as you say, the government's still trying to work out some of the details of this? Yeah, so when they prohibited the weapons, they put a grace period in place. So uh, ordinarily, owning a prohibited firearm would be illegal right off the bat. 
but if you happen to own one of these uh, before the government changed the rules, you were grandfathered until next fall, until the fall of 2023. The letter that um, sort of started all this was a letter from Public Safety Minister Marco Mendicino to his Alberta counterpart, Tyler Shandro, talking about wanting to come up with a plan um, that would obviously have to use local police resources, and he was hoping for some cooperation. And the idea was being that this, this confiscation, this buyback program would start this fall. And you mentioned Alberta's Justice Minister, Solicitor General, Tyler Shandro. Alberta, as many Canadians may know, has a staunch kind of pro-gun history. I know there was a lot of controversy around the big gun seizure after flooding in High River about 10 years ago. This didn't go over well with Alberta. And and so how did Tyler Shandro respond to this request from his federal counterpart? And, and what has been the main objection on Alberta's part? Tyler Shandro and the UCP government feel like this is a waste of police resources and time. Uh, I think the federal government is targeting, you know, legal gun owners unfairly uh, and that there is no point to this. And they don't want provincial police resources to be used to enforce this program. Um, And Tyler Shandro said that specifically to the minister very boldly that he is directing the RCMP, who of course are the provincial police force in Alberta, not to participate and not to use resources in the enforcement of this program. And so the the request originally came from the federal government to try and come up with a a plan for how this is all going to play out. And Alberta said, go away. Heck no, we're not going to do it or we're not going to ask the RCMP to do it. What was the federal response? So, I mean, Marco Mendicino has been really um, adamant that this is going to go ahead in some fashion. He said what Alberta is doing is essentially a political stunt. Uh, that they know that the federal government, any federal government, just jurisdictionally, has the power and the authority to change gun laws, which is what they have done and are continuing to do through other legislation that's in the House of Commons right now, and that you can't tell a police force not to enforce the law. Alberta hasn't been alone, though. Mendicino talks about this being a political stunt, but we've seen other provinces kind of step up and say, wait a second this is kind of silly or this is not the best use of police resources. Who else is, has kind of jumped in to, to stand up beside Tyler Shandro and say, hold on a second here. So, so far Saskatchewan and Manitoba have both also come out and said they don't want provincial police resources used for this purpose. I would say those provinces, their pushback was, was definitely there, but not quite as strong as Alberta's. Alberta is, is challenging this measure in court and directing its law enforcement not to participate. The other two provinces are taking some, but not all of those measures. Certainly, um, you know, I, I talked to officials in BC who said they don't necessarily object to the program, but it's not necessarily their highest priority elsewhere. You know, continuing to reach out to other provinces because uh, the Alberta, you know, the RCMP is the provincial police force in a large chunk of the country, in eight out of ten provinces in all the territories. So it'll be interesting to see how some of these other provinces line up. We'll be right back. Why is this piece of of the federal gun program so contentious? Is it the fact that there's a large contingent of gun owners in Canada who feel that, you know, A, are weapons aren't used in the commission of crimes in this country, B, 
these aren't actually quote unquote assault rifles. They may look scary, but they're not as scary as people think. And, and therefore we shouldn't have to hand them over. Like, what is it that, that has people so up in arms about this? You know, I, I think to start with the fact that the weapons were legal, uh, until the liberal government decided one day that they wouldn't be. So this isn't a case where you've got a long-standing uh, weapon that's never been legal uh, that the government is going after. The government made a decision, and overnight, 1,500 different types of firearms, uh, tens of thousands of weapons across the country became illegal to own. And I think that, you know, obviously rubs gun owners the wrong way for a variety of reasons. I think on the other side of this debate, though, uh, some of these weapons... Now, there's 1,500 different types of firearms here, and I think there's a lot of people who are concerned about which ones got included and which ones didn't. Some of these firearms, though, on the other side of this debate, have been used in some of Canada's biggest tragedies, uh, including the Nova Scotia shooting, including uh, the Montreal Massacre. Some of these weapons, not all by any means, but some of these weapons were designed for military purposes. Uh, and simply tweaked a little bit to be commercial weapons or available for for home use. So I think there's a lot of debate here. You know, I think it it really comes down to how you sort of feel about firearms. Now, when we're looking at the legislation itself, I mean, you mentioned 1,500 guns. Are we talking about 1,500 different varieties of firearms, or are we talking about kind of variations of of the same brand, like different trim levels of cars? I guess for for people who aren't as familiar with guns. Yeah, I mean, that's what it is. It's, it's 1,500 different models. So lots of different types of firearms are encapsulated there. And there are specific, uh, in addition to a whole list of weapons that are, are banned specifically, there are weapons of a certain um, barrel length and a certain muzzle velocity, so the, the speed at which the you know bullet leaves the, the, the weapon that have also been banned under this order. What about the argument that, that a lot of the guns used in the Commission of Crimes in Canada are, you know, stolen handguns or imported handguns that are brought in illegally from, say, the United States. And if the government really wanted to get serious about crime, they would devote resources to dealing with these issues. Have the feds addressed that argument as part of this debate? Yeah, I mean, I, I think to a degree they have. Um, I mean, just... You know, they've obviously spent more time and energy talking about these weapons than they really have talked about illegally smuggled firearms and things like that. But they have added more resources and more funding to police to deal with those firearms coming across the border. I think one of the challenges that they face is sometimes uh, perfectly legally owned firearms end up in criminal hands through robberies and things like that, through break-ins. So a firearm owner has a break-in at their home, and the firearms that they own end up on the street. There isn't really great data on this, but there is definitely a high number of weapons uh, that are used in crime uh, that are brought here illegally um, and that you know no owner could ever have legally bought in Canada. Um, that definitely is a big portion of them. But there is a portion of crime uh, that happens... Uh, with firearms that uh, are legally bought in Canada. Now, looking at, at back at this kind of back and forth between the feds and the provinces, I mean, it feels like a tug of war. We have one level, level of government that runs the RCMP and sets federal gun policy, and we have a level of government that contracts the services of RCMP, and I imagine would want to have some say in how 
RCMP operate within the confines of their province. Looking at it just kind of on that basis, who ultimately has the upper hand here? You know, that's a hard question for me to answer um, because I, I really don't know. And I think this is going to end up with a lot of disputes between lawyers. Uh, the RCMP are a federal police force, and what they are offering is a contract to provinces to do policing for them. The federal government pays 30% of the RCMP costs in those given provinces, and then the provinces pay 70%. So the provinces are paying for the majority of the share here when it comes to the RCMP, but the RCMP officers across the country, and you know, this is one of these things that comes up in debates about should uh, provinces have their own police forces, the RCMP ultimately answers to Ottawa. That's where the chain of command ends. Now, you mentioned earlier that, that BC is is kind of keeping an eye on on what transpires here. They have some concerns about this buyback program as well. Could we see any other provinces line up behind Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba? Or, or even, you know, are there concerns that, say, Ontario, which has a provincial police force, could they turn around and say, we are not going to have any part in this? Yeah, I think you'll see now that Alberta and Saskatchewan and Manitoba have all come out and said where they stand on this. And, you know, certainly I've reached out to other provinces and I'm still waiting to hear back sort of where they stand. But certainly you could definitely see a political divide happening here right across the country, even in some place like Ontario. You know, Doug Ford is a conservative. Um, I'm not sure if he's going to join with other conservative premiers on this issue. Uh, I think some premiers uh, across the country are probably waiting for details as to what exactly Ottawa wants their local police to do. Um, Because, I mean, even outside of the RCMP issue, of course, you know, many uh, cities across the country have their own police forces separate from the RCMP. So, you know, Edmonton and Calgary and Saskatoon and Regina and Winnipeg all have their own independent police forces uh, that perhaps would be called in to help deal with this program. So I suspect you're going to hear more from provincial premiers once they start to see what the shape of this program might be, you know, how much it might cost them, how much time it will demand of their police officers who most say are already pretty short-staffed. When could we expect to see more information as as to what the the feds are going to be asking of provinces and cities? We should see um, sometime later this month, there is a meeting of uh, justice and safety ministers taking place uh, starting on October 12th. And when uh, Mr. Mendicino first wrote to Tyler Shandro, that's when he proposed having a discussion about this, about what the shape of this program might look like. So I think that'll be the next step here. And I'm sure, you know, provincial justice ministers who oppose this program are going to come to that meeting to tell Mendicino that they strongly disagree. Uh, But we'll have to see what happens then. Well, I know it's a a very contentious debate in many parts of the country. We'll see what transpires with that meeting on October 12th. Ryan, thanks for your time. No problem. 10-3 is produced by Tyler Dawson. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Ryan Tumulty. More from him at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 